Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I'm one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And for today's episode, I want to talk to you about a little help for the home. This past week, I counted up, and we have 65 households represented in this congregation. And that includes those single adults who are part of our family at Northern Kentucky. What that means is that we have 65 different stories as events unfold within the privacy of the various homes. I really don't think that most people want their family life to be filled with stress and unhappiness, although I must say that I have met people who truly did not seem to be happy unless there was some sort of drama taking place in their lives. Let me say that I am not a professional marriage counselor by any stretch of the imagination, but I'll tell you what, God is. And in his word, he has given some simple home remedies that are easily applied and that will help any family. They're not earth-shaking in their profundity. They're just practical ideas that will help to make every family happier and closer. Let's just see if we don't all agree with God that these little jewels of wisdom from the book of Proverbs, when put into practice, will make a family much happier and the home a much more pleasant place to be. First of all, keep a cheerful attitude. Let's consider Proverbs 17 verse 22. It tells us a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. What is good medicine for the home? First of all, a joyful or cheerful heart. There are few things in life as tiring and depressing than to come home to a critic who can find nothing good in you or in life in general. I have known both spouses and children who avoided going home after work or after school because they knew what they were going to find there. A critical and unhappy situation regardless of what the day had brought about. If a person finds it hard to be happy or stops trying, that person will find it hard to help others find much joy in their company either. Even those who are clinically depressed can find the needed help if they will try. The idea, and it is not always easy, is to have a cheerful heart. Two chapters earlier in Proverbs, back in chapter 15 of verse 13, we find a joyful heart makes a cheerful face, but when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. Solomon's point is simply that what we are on the inside shows on the outside, and a person with a cheerful heart shows on the outside. This must be true because on occasion when I have been feeling not particularly well, people will ask me what's wrong, or they'll ask Vicky what's wrong with Greg, even when I feel like I'm being just perfectly normal. I know when I'm around a person with a joyful countenance 
that tends to rub off a little bit on me. I live with that kind of person, and home is frankly where I most want to be. I know when I get home I'm going to be encouraged. I know I will be greeted with smiles of contentment even when content is not how I would exactly describe myself at the time. I know that regardless of life's struggles, and life does have struggles, this person that I live with is going to be upbeat. Just look two verses down at verse 15. All the days of the afflicted are bad, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast. It really is a matter of perspective, how we look at things. Just think of the possibilities this kind of attitude brings. A husband who has worked hard all day and been discouraged by a tough and unreasonable boss or an unpleasant work environment is going to be eager to come home to a wife who smiles and believes in him anyway. A wife who has faced her own work within or outside of the home plus her other responsibilities and is feeling anything but strong or feminine is going to be anxious to see her husband who will genuinely smile at her and let her know that in his eyes she is as beautiful as she was the day they met. The children are going to want to come home to a family where love and encouragement abound. My friends, as our children grow and life gets harder for them in terms of temptation, they really need a home that is a safe environment, upbeat, and where God and his church are clearly priorities. They need a home that is a haven in a tough, tough world. The key to cheerfulness is to remember that we are Christians. And while this world is important, as the Bible teaches us, it is not the most important. Personally, I believe that Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, I believe that is misapplied and given a larger application than it was meant to have. However, there is validity to the idea of God's watchful eye being over each and every one of his children in every situation, good and bad. I know that is true. And therefore, we can truly believe and practice Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, which tells us, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. I think Paul really put it in the proper perspective in verses 11 and 13 of that same chapter when he wrote, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I don't believe that can be over-applied. Our cheerful attitude needs to be based upon who we are, not what material possessions we have, and not upon what our circumstances might be. Another simple home remedy is learn to be gentle. Once again from Proverbs 15, this time verse 1, we find a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. Within many families that I have had occasion to know, one of the simplest things to make it happier was not done, and that is just to speak kindly to one another. Why use criticism as the most common method of motivation for both spouses and children 
when common sense says that's not the best way to go. Regularly arguing is not what God intended. Sometimes arguments and disputes can be open and ongoing. Sometimes they are closed and unspoken. Either way, the battle goes on. How can this be avoided? Well, God tells us we must learn to speak gently, learn to get the edge out of our voices, even when we must speak of unpleasant things, and every marriage faces some unpleasant things, we can learn to do so in a voice that reflects the love and respect we have for the one to whom we are speaking. There are key principles found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, which says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Another translation translates this verse as follows. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Paul wasn't speaking just about communication within a family here, but surely we can see how it applies. If we will watch what we say in every situation, taking pains to be certain that what we say will be helpful, can't we all see how much good that will bring to home? Paul added that we are to speak only with others in mind, and that we are to speak to build up according to their needs, and that can be true even in criticism. If a husband puts his wife's needs first, especially when he is unhappy about something in the marriage, then his words will be gentle, kind, and reflective of a sincere desire to do only good toward his wife. In the same way, if a wife will be gentle and think of her husband, then all thought of harsh criticism and anger will be pushed aside, as difficult as that may be when she speaks to him, even if something must be confronted that is wrong or that she dislikes. We all need to learn to be slow to anger. Again, Proverbs 15, this time verse 18, tells us, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger pacifies contention. In what I do, I have to be very careful about responding to people kindly and gently, sometimes firmly, but never in anger. I haven't always done that as I should. I think I'm getting better at it. But sometimes people and circumstances have made me mad. And if I was not careful, do you know who would feel the brunt of that anger? My family. It proved to be a learning process for me, and if I can learn it, anybody can. I've known homes filled with anger, no closeness, and fear of speaking in case another explosion should occur. God says, learn another way. Learn to be patient. Calm the spirit, and more will be accomplished. Consider James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. James wrote, This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The Holy Spirit is telling us to replace quick and ill-tempered responses with patience and the willingness to hear the other person out. The Holy Spirit encourages us to think a bit before we speak. This kind of approach will slow down anger. Then the Holy Spirit made an absolutely critical point for families today. Anger will not accomplish the righteousness that God desires. 
and that is true within the family as well. Why are some homes of Christians so unhappy? For many reasons, but one is most certainly anger. By the way, if any family is troubled at this time, and your first thought when you heard the question, why are some homes of Christians so unhappy, was him or her, it's time to step back and pay real close attention to the next one. Learn to forgive and forget. From Proverbs 17, verse 9, we find, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. A spouse should be the most intimate of all friends. A lot of homes are horribly damaged because the past is never left alone. Every marriage has had its share of sins take place by both the husband and the wife. Some are more difficult to deal with, but it is a terrible mistake to never let a spouse feel truly forgiven for a sin that they have repented of. I don't know of anyone who has never sinned. When repentance has been manifested, how frustrating it would be to have that sin continually brought up. We were in Ephesians 4 a bit ago. Let's go back and see how God wants us to deal with such things in verses 31 and 32. He wrote, Paul said there, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. God requires repentance, yes, but then requires us to forgive just as he in Christ forgave us. Once forgiveness is given, our attitude must continue as God's. What would that be? In Jeremiah 31 verse 34, a passage looking forward to the new covenant, we find God saying through the prophet, and they shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. What a difference that last part can make, and their sin I will remember no more. It reminds me of First Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. I know Peter was writing of brethren one to another, but certainly the principle is applicable in our homes. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Our final home remedy is accept God's way for our lives. All of these principles require one thing, submission to God's will in all things. After all the talk is done, all the counseling has been had, it all boils down to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. This submission is not merely found in accepting God's will about repentance and baptism, although both are commanded. This submission goes beyond how often we assemble and whether we use an instrument in worship, although God has made his will known about such things. It is even more basic than that. Can we submit to God and learn to have a cheerful heart? Can we learn to be gentle and not harsh with our words? Can we be slow to anger so that God's righteousness can work in our families? Can we learn to forgive and forget and never bring up the past forgiven sins again.
These are critical as being baptized for the remission of the sins is critical. How do we deal with problems in families today? We all have them and some are bigger than others. I don't want to try to be simplistic about something that can be beyond complicated and very difficult, but I do know without doubt that God designed the home. He is its architect. I know that the few things we have talked about in this particular episode are the kinds of materials he has designated to build a happy, successful home, and if we don't use the designated materials, we will fail. Using God's home remedies, his designated materials, so to speak, will make any home stronger. I pray that your home life is a good, happy, and contented life. But if it should not be, then maybe perhaps these words you can take to heart and help you along. Thanks for listening.